Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Brought your Bibles tonight. Well, you ready? On your mark. We're going to cover a lot of scripture tonight. I'm used to getting scriptures revealed to me by verses, not by chapters, so you're just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> chapters and books. Amen. Which he said, if you continue in my word, you know the truth. The truth will set you free. Amen. And if we walk in the light, it'll bring more light. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 2. He will teach you all things. He'll bring all things unto your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, He'll show you things to come. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. We have the greater one living in us. We have the Spirit of God living in us, and He teaches us and guides us into all truth. Amen? But it's only as you continue in that Word. When you start walking in the light that you have, then you'll have more light. Amen? And I'll tell you, so I've seen some things in the Word in the last couple of weeks that just blessed me. Blessed me. Just blessed me. That's all I can say. Just blessed me. Especially about faith. So let's look at the second chapter of Galatians and begin reading at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews would dissemble likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Who are the Jews? Who are, we who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Thank you, Father, for your word. We approach it reverently and we approach it humbly. And we thank you, Father God, that as it goes forth, it will produce life, light, and love in the hearts of those that hear it, as it's quickened by your spirits in our inward man. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We have been emphasizing, first of all, that works deal with the flesh and they pertain to the law. And faith deals with the spirit under the new covenant. Now, the first covenant, or the Abrahamic covenant, 
to title it, had added to it the written law, or the, the Levitical priesthood. And it pertained to the flesh. But under the new covenant, God is dealing not with man's flesh, but with his spirit. Faith is of the spirit. Works are of the flesh. Now, the problem in some of these things that have been unveiled to me, I think we know them down deep into our spirit, but until they come up out of us and give us this direction and this wisdom and this understanding of the Word of God, they just lie there dormant. You've got to pull them out of your spirit because we've got all wisdom inside our spirits, our human spirits. The, the law was spiritual, but man was carnal. There was nothing wrong with the law. And the law was good and just and holy. But the law was spiritual and man was carnal, sold under sin. Now, I'm not going to get into this right now. We're going to get back to it. Let's go to Romans. I want to explain that. The seventh chapter, first of all. Verse 6. Romans, the seventh chapter in verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit, underline that, in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Remember Paul said over there in the first chapter of Romans, I serve God with my spirit. We should serve in the newness of of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For, if, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Well, now, some people have a hard time understanding what Paul's saying there. But it's basically very simple. When you're born into the world, you're not born into spiritual death. If you were born spiritually dead, every baby that died would go to hell. Wasn't that right? Wouldn't every baby that died go to hell if they was born spiritually dead? Well, he says, I was alive. In other words, over there in John's Gospel, the first chapter, somewhere around verse 9, he says, uh, He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. A child is born into the world, he's born alive unto God. He's not born in spiritual death. He's not born again, but he's born alive unto God. And then when the commandment comes, sin revives and he died. Couldn't keep the law, couldn't keep the commandment, couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And so that's exactly what Paul was saying. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That was it. Spiritual death. Otherwise, we can't explain how a child then would go to heaven if he was born spiritually dead. I'm not going to get on that subject. I just thought oh, you could chew on it for a while if you want whatever you want to do. But you go ahead and study it for yourself. Let's go on. Well, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, now listen, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, now listen, that it might appear sin... Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now, what he's saying is 
that God had to show man he, that he was a sinner and he was on his way to hell. Man thought he was just floating along through life like he wanted to. You know. And God could have given him up to a reprobate mind. His heart was death. He was in death. All that he did was wrong. But to him it was right. Because from his heart he felt it was okay to do certain things. Alright. So God had to, by the law, show man that he was sinful by making sin to be exceeding, exceeding sinful. Through the law, look at verse 13 again. Was then that which is good made death unto me? No, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. So man was shown that through the law that he was a sinner and he was abiding in death. That sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. So the law then showed man, by making it exceeding sinful unto himself, affected his spirit by showing him in his flesh he was Death doomed. He was on his way to hell. He was on his way to destruction. Okay, next verse. For we know that the law is what? But I am... Now see, Paul wasn't saved. He was saved, but he wasn't talking about being born again here. Nobody that's born again is sinful, sold under sin. He went, yeah, I'm carnal, sold under sin. Then he goes on to explain that which I do, I lie, do not, so on and so forth. You know, the back, back and forth. Under the law, the law said what to do. I wanted to do it, but I couldn't do it. I was carnal, so to understand, and the law was spiritual. All right. Go to the 8th chapter in verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Well, what could, not, what could the law not do? The law could only show man his sin. The law could only make sin appear more sinful unto man so that he would know that he's a sinner. But the law could not justify man. If we stayed under that first covenant under the law, they'd be doing that forever. Holy, the high priest goes and offers up the sacrifice for sin, so on and so forth. None of those sacrifices could make the comers thereon too perfect. Neither he that did the service, which was the high priest, couldn't make him perfect either. So they'd be doing this over and 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 over. And you'd have a whole, you'd have that apart, uh, compartment underneath the earth, paradise. It would be overflown by now. Well, they was waiting down there, you see, in paradise until somebody would come and let them out. They couldn't go to heaven under the first covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. They weren't born again. So, the law could not justify man. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law was spiritual, was good, holy, and just. The problem was with man, he was carnal. And we're going to see that in the book of Hebrews. As a matter of fact, let's go to the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews. The law was weak through the flesh. The righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's where you're going to see Paul's talking about being born again and walking in the Spirit. But let's just, let's clarify some of these things here in the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews. Verse 11. If therefore perfection, the law could not make the comers thereunto perfect. For if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. 
What further need was there for another priest that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made, now listen, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof, not in the law or the commandment, but in man, the weakness of his flesh. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now let's stop just for a minute Melchizedek was brought up. Now, you can have your own theory on who you think Melchizedek was. It doesn't really matter. There are some things in the Bible that are not as relevant as we seem to think. Uh, there are some theories where you get two sides to the theory. But let me give you an example. Whenever you feel the rapture is going to take place, I don't care. It's going to take place. And it's going to take place when God says it's going to take place, not when you think it is. Just be ready and you'll go. Isn't that right? Now, Melchizedek, as you go back and read about him, we found out that he was a priest, a high priest. We found out that Abraham paid tithes unto him. It also says he was a man. Matter of fact, back up over there. It says he was without father and mother. Let's go back up to verse 3. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like another son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now, consider how great this what was? This what? Now, I'm not, going, I'm not being specific. He may have been a man. He may have been an angel. He may have been the Son of God Himself. All I want to show to you and point out to you is that He is a type. Regardless of who He was or what He was, He is a type. There's a sevenfold type. He's a sevenfold type of Christ, and you need to know that at least. Melchizedek. He came from another, let's say another country. He had no descent. There was no record of who his parents were. There's no record of his death. There was no record of his birth. There's no record of anything. There's no record of the end of his ministry. He is a type of Christ. Let's look at some of these things. Number one, his genealogy. We saw that over there in verse 6. But he whose descent is not counted. In other words, there's no, ge there's, there's no uh, history, you see, of his genealogy. There's none at all recorded. Now, whether or not he, he didn't have any parents, but it says he was a man. So you can just take your own theory on that, whatever you feel that it is. That doesn't, just take the type of, of who he is and what he stood for. He's a type of Christ. Number two, in his genealogy was number one. He's a type of Christ. Christ had no beginning and no end. Isn't that right? Okay. Number two, in his sacrifice. In Genesis 14, 18, it says that Melchizedek came with bread and wine. If you've never read it, you can look it up. Genesis 14, 18. He came with bread and wine. Number three, he has an endless priesthood. The scripture is the seventh chapter in verse three here. Made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Number four, he is a king and a priest. So is Christ. That's verse one. Seventh chapter, verse one. Melchizedek, king of Salem. 
which is the old Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And it goes on to say in verse 2, he was the king of Salem, which is king of peace. Okay, he's greater than Abraham. Abraham respected this man. He was so great that Abraham paid tithes unto him and so on and so forth. But didn't Jesus say that the greater than Abraham has come? That's, that's Christ. It was a greater than Abraham has come. So on and so forth. So in all these, that's number five. Number six, king of righteousness was verse two. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. King of peace, also verse over there at the end of verse two. King of righteousness and king of peace. So in other words, Jesus is a priest, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in contrasting the Melchizedek priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood, you see, if there's a, the only difference you're going to have is you're going to have the, the person, the order, and the duration of it. Now, the Aaronic, you see, could not be forever. It could not be forever. It's impossible. Because every high priest is going to die. And every time one died, they had to get another one. And he would go on for a while, then he would die, then they have to keep changing from one to another, from one to another. But Melchizedek, a type of Christ, has a continual priesthood which abideth forever. Now, let's go back to verse 20. Let's start there. Another thing, Jesus, when he fulfilled his sacrificial work, when he did it, he did it after the order of the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood. He followed that pattern, but he was different in a sense. He would not die. You see, every high priest that went into the holies of holies and made sacrifices, so on and so forth, one day he's going to die. But this man, Jesus, would never die. Never die. Once he did it, beloved, it was the end of all sacrifice. Okay. So the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, could only be for a time. It was weak through the flesh. Man would die. He could not fulfill it. Okay. Let's go on from verse 20. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made a priest. Made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him and said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests, because they were not, they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of what? By reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, he'll never die, hath an unchangeable, and that really means a priesthood that will not be passed on down from one to another, from one to another. Jesus doesn't have to pass his priesthood on down to another because he's going to live and abide forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able, he is able to save them to the uttermost, to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest become, became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for, first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated or perfected forever. Now the law made men priests that were not perfect and could not be perfect. He could not be perfected and neither could he make the comers that are unto perfect. Couldn't do that. But Jesus, when he entered into the high priestly ministry, he is perfected forever and he can make the comers thereunto perfect. But under the law, that couldn't be. So the law was weak through the flesh. It could not be fulfilled in man. 
But some man was coming who would fulfill it, and that was when the body was prepared for Jesus. Well, let's go uh, over to the 8th chapter in verse 7. Let's, I want to tie in to, to these two scriptures. First, verse, chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. We saw these two. This pertains to what we're talking about. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. Now look at the 8th chapter, verse 7 and 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now listen. The fault was not with the covenant. Verse 8 tells you, for finding fault with them, he saith. With who? The law was good and just and holy, and the law there was nothing in spiritual. But man was carnal, sold under sin, and because he was in the flesh, he could not fulfill the spiritual side of that covenant. It was a type and a shadow of somebody who in the spirit, the eternal spirit, would fulfill all that the Aaronic, the Levitical priesthood, and the covenant stood for. And he would do that not in the earthly holies of holies, but he would do that in the heavenly holies of holies. Man had no right to get in there. Okay, can you see the type? All right, can you see why the law then was spiritual? But man was carnal? So consequently, if we're going to walk according to the carnal law, we can't please God. And we're going to see that in the 8th chapter. But if we walk according to the Spirit, we're going to be able to walk by faith and we're going to be able to please God. Look at the ninth chapter. Man is carnal. The law was spiritual. The ordinances of the law, the ordinances in the tabernacle and all that took place also were carnal. Everything that was done was done in a carnal sense. It was done by the works of the flesh. It was done in a fleshly way. They had to enter in. They had to do this. They had to cleanse. They had blood of bulls and goats and so on and so forth. They did every, everything was a carnal ordinance. But it had a spiritual meaning. All right? And we're going to see in this ninth chapter. Let's start with verse 1 and read through this. Let's lay a foundation so then you can get a better understanding of what we want to get across. Then verily the first covenant. He's talking about the two covenants through the entire New Testament practically. And the difference between the two. Paul is the only one that had this kind of revelation. For if the first covenant had had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. And it goes on to tell you all of what it had inside of it. Go on down to verse 8 or 7. But in the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, now listen, could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But... Christ being come, an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes and heifers blinking unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Now, we're laying a foundation. Go back to the book of Galatians, the second chapter now. The law is spiritual. Man is carnal. Works pertain to the flesh. We're not under that covenant. We're under the new covenant. We're under grace by faith. And we walk in the Spirit and not by the flesh. Now, you want to hear somebody get on somebody's case, Paul let Peter have it with both barrels. He rebuked him to the face. In front of everybody. Let's, let's read it in context now. And while he does this, he explains why. And beloved, if you'll understand this, it'll set you free. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, the Judaizers, he did eat with the Gentiles... But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their, and that word means hypocrisy, with their hypocrisy. Wait a minute. Paul's talking to Peter about Peter. Barnabas. You know, sometimes there are some traditions that people don't want to let go. And when Peter found himself eating with Gentiles and the Jews were coming, he couldn't take it. He got a little bit upset. He got a little bit in condemnation. He didn't know what to do. So he got up and separated himself from the Gentiles. They might have been sitting out eating a ham dinner. You know? And here they come, you know. Well, I don't know what they was eating, but I'll tell you what. It made such an impression that Barnabas, who I believe at this time was, let's say, pastoring the church, or he was one of the leaders in the church, he even separated himself. Can you imagine if a flock watches their pastor also get up and depart from, here we are, born-again Gentiles, and now they've separated themselves from us? Well, look at what Paul's saying. But when I saw that, they walked not uprightly. We walked by faith. They were not walking in the Spirit. But they were walking according to the letter of the law. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Life. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, he rebuked him to his face and in the face of them, If you being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Good question. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles... We know, he's saying, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. 
and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. None. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I distort, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. In other words, Paul was saying, I found out myself that even under the law, I'm still doomed. The law was to bring me to Christ. So even as a Jew, I must come and, and by faith be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I can't get saved as a Jew, why are you telling the Gentile to live like a Jew when it's not going to do him any good? He got to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ just as I got to be saved. Don't compel them to live like the Jews live. And don't give them that kind of an example. And that's exactly what they're doing. They were living in hypocrisy before them. All right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now listen, let's put this scripture in context. But the life that I now live in the flesh. We're not, we're not you know, getting rid of works. Works have their place in faith. Faith without works is dead. But he's not talking about those kind of works. James and Paul were not conflicting with one another when it comes to works. There's no work you can do for salvation. And that's what he's talking about. Now listen. The life, Paul said, that I live in the flesh. Now that I'm born again, you are trying to live your life in the flesh by the law. Doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. But, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. All right? You got saved by faith. Now you don't continue to live your life by the works of the law or by outward appearance of workings of the flesh. You live your life by the same faith that saved you, the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Now look at the next verse. This is extremely important. Extremely. I do not circle the word or underline the word frustrate. I'm going to give you its full definition. I do not frustrate. I do not set aside. I do not disesteem. I do not neutralize. I do not violate. I do not cast off. I do not despise. We already have the word frustrate, which is in there. I do not bring to naught. I do not reject the grace of God. I do not bring to naught the grace of God, for if righteousness cometh by the law, then listen, Christ is dead in vain. Christ is dead in vain. Oh, stupid Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1. That's exactly what he said. Oh, stupid Galatians, who has hypnotized you? That's what he's saying. Listen, now let's read it in context. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. 
Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Is Christ crucified among you in vain? Has Christ died in vain now that you're born again by faith? Are you going to live your life in the flesh now? He that doeth miracles among you, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Sad to say, but there are a lot of those in the church that want to get their miracles by the works of the flesh. Beloved, and I don't say take lightly of faithfulness, but, but hear me when I say this. Being a faith teacher, I've had many, 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 many come up to me and say, but you don't know dear brother so-and-so. He does this, and he's done that, and he's done this, and he's done that. And he's done this in the church, and he's done that, and he's been faithful, and he's done this. And he went to the altar to get prayed for, and he didn't get healed. And if he didn't get healed, then there's nobody that's going to get healed. And if he didn't get healed, then evidently God wanted him to be sick. I'm going to show you that that is P-R-I-D-E in its highest degree. You come to the Father God, and if you say, Father, you know I've served you. That just sounds like the fellow that got before God and said, Father, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like this fellow over here, this heathen, this publican. I fast twice a week and I do this and I do that. Bless God, you know. And this guy said, in all humility, I'm going to show you that faith is a humble life. By the word. Father, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy went home justified. 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 There shall no man be justified by the workings of his flesh. And if you come to the altar thinking just because you've done such and such so and so on for 30 years and you shouldn't be healed, you might just walk out that back door because you're not going to get it. But if you come on your knees and humble yourself before God and say, Father God, I humble myself under your word and come by faith, you'll get it. Like that. You will. All right. Now. Let's, let's go back to that 21st verse before I go on here. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not bring it to naught or reject the grace of God. Now, if you remember, in James, the fourth chapter, James said, I believe verse 6, He giveth grace unto the humble, but he resists the proud. God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Isn't that right? In our study, in Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 2, we read, we have access into this grace by, by what? By what? He giveth grace unto the humble, but resisteth the proud. There shall no flesh glory in His presence but God giveth grace unto the humble. Now, Romans 5, 2 says, matter of fact, let's turn to it. I want, I want to lay it out for you as easily as I can, as simple as I can. I don't want this to be difficult. I don't want it to be hard. There are some things you're going to have to meditate to get all this in your spirit. I know that. That's why I thank God for the tape system. Get the tapes and get them into your spirit. Because sometimes I'll meditate these things and get light on these things and I, you, you just give them out and you've got to meditate these things and get them into your spirit so you can get a more light, more understanding of what he's saying. Look at the fifth chapter, verse 2. By whom also we have access, we have access. I have access to this church, but I've got a key. It gives me access to this church. But if I never use the key, I'll never get in this church. But I have access by what? What does it say? 
by faith. My key is, gives me access to walk through that door. But if I do not use the right key, I'll not get in that door. And there are some that come to get access to God's grace by the workings of the flesh. And that's the wrong key. You have access into the grace of God that you're standing in by faith and by faith alone. That's all. Faith is of the Spirit. It's not of the workings of the flesh. That's the only way you're going to get into the grace of God. And it's the humble that He gives grace to. Now put the two together. He gives grace to the humble. You have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand. So, if I use the right key, I'll have access into the grace of God. It's humility by faith. You know, faith is really humility. What, what do you think got a sinner saved? This act of humility. I recognize that I can't do it. I cannot get to heaven by myself. There's not a thing I can do to get me to heaven. Isn't that right? And when a sinner recognizes that fact and comes before God and says, I come by faith that you will save me by your grace. You better just start to shout because that boy's going to get saved right there. How did he get into that grace? By faith. But if he had come like this other fellow and just said, well, now bless God, I don't do anything. You ever talk to people like that? I don't do anything wrong. I hadn't broken Ten Commandments in a long, oh, at least the last three weeks or anything like that. You know, I don't, you know you, they'll never, they're not going to get saved. You're not going to get them delivered. You're not going to get them set free. And I'll tell you something else. You get the even born again believers today. Let's go beyond the grace of salvation. Let's go access into the full grace of God. You could get them and they'll just come and they'll do the same thing. Well, now listen. You can't tell me anything about healing. I know. Well, go ahead. Be sick. You know why? Because you can't tell them anything. I mean, I have men who I thought I, I, I'd just stand and look up to and just say, well, praise God, they've been a minister for 25, 30, 40 years. I learned something off this fellow. And I'll tell you what, don't ever get unteachable. Don't ever get unteachable. God's no respecter of persons. Only by His Word. And it's the Word that you got. He doesn't know by how many years you did service. Friend, I'll tell you right now. I mean that. That's works of the flesh. It's by faith. And they'll give you all a thousand and one reasons why they shouldn't be healed. And they won't be able to receive the Word of God if you just come there and just say, well, the Word says. Matter of fact, while I'm in it and on it, <laughs> we have in our tenets of faith, number 10 in our tenets of faith says, we believe that Jesus took all our infirmities and bore all our sicknesses. That's what it says. That's exactly what it says. But if you say that, there are those that don't believe that and they'll, they'll, they, they claim to live by these tenets of faith. Now, beloved, if we're not going to believe what we stand for, if we're not going to believe what the Word of God says, that's just mental assenting to the Word of God. That's just an understanding up here about what the Word says. And I acknowledge that it's true, but it's not a reality in the life of those that would hear it. I choose to stand in agreement with the fact He did bear all our sicknesses and all our diseases. Therefore, you and I have access to the grace of walking in divine health completely. Do you believe that? Okay. Now, I could frustrate the grace of God, though, if I add an and or an if or a but and say, you know, well, yeah, but, you know, some don't get it. Now, see, that's, that's frustrating the grace of God. That's rejecting or nullifying the grace of God. And it's not going to work for it. You could take that into every area of your life. And uh, no matter what it is, and you'll see that 
You can frustrate God's grace or you can have access to enter into God's grace. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. People frustrate the grace of God in that area. I don't believe that Holy Spirit, but you know, so, well, this is the power of God to them that believeth, not to them that don't believeth. I don't believe the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in tongues. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in the manifestation of the Spirit. I don't well, blessed be God. It's not for those that don't believe. It's for those that believe. Isn't that right? And I believe. And it's the power of God to those that believe. Now, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we read this, or we quoted this scripture to you, but I want you to see it. I want to show you how, again, these chapters will reaffirm that Paul is clearly making a difference between the two covenants. How he t uses the same terminology of the law but transposes it into the terminology of spir the spiritual terminology of faith. He talks about, let's go to the 16th verse first of all. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to, to help in the time of need. Now, if you're going to come to the throne of grace, you're going to have to come in humility, meaning you're going to have to come by faith. And even though you in your own life have not have, don't have manifested in your life what God's Word says, you don't make a thousand and one excuses why you don't have it, but you go to God by His Word and say, Father God, if let's say it's sickness and disease, it's very tangible, it's very good to talk about. Now, hear me when I say this, because we're going to get off into faith, we're going to get deep into faith. I mean that we're going to turn it over as much as we can. And uncover all the aspects of faith so we can walk in it. In this area of sickness and disease, if you come to God and you think, well, I must have to have this sickness because I didn't get healed or whatever or so forth and so on, that's not coming to God in humility and that's not coming according to the Word. If you come to God with sin in your spirit, don't you come to God and say, Father God, I was wrong. Forgive me. I receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. If I get attacked with sickness or disease in my body, I'll go to the throne of God. You know what I'll say? Father... I judge myself. First Corinthians 11 chapter where it talks about communion tells you to judge yourself before God. I judge sin in my spirit and I judge sickness in my body. It's not supposed to be there. Didn't James write and say, is there any sick among you? Meaning there shouldn't be. Is there? Well, what did he say to do? Let him call for those of church and pray. In the prayer of faith, they say the sick, the Lord raise them up. And if they committed sins... He connects the two together. What's he saying? Can you see that? That's humility to come before the Father God and say, Father, I shouldn't have sickness in my body. I judge myself and then take communion right there. Well, if you could receive forgiveness in your spirit, you can receive healing in your body through communion. Same way. Through the Lord's Supper. Oh, I never heard it like that. Well, listen. Read the chapter. It's in there. What makes me think I could get forgiveness in my spirit if I can't get healing in my body? When they go hand in hand. No, you've got to come humbly before God and judge yourself before God and say, Dear Father God, I shouldn't have that sickness in my body. I come to the throne of grace boldly and I declare it to be so that whatever I've got to do, I'll do. I'll change, bless God. I'll do anything you want me to. I'll change. Get on your knees before God. That's a good check, you see, checklist in your own life. If I, if I sense sickness or disease come on my body, I'm ready to get on my knees before God and check out my life spiritually. Some people think it's just a time to just, you know, Lay back and just say, oh, no. beloved, I'll tell you right now. If you've got sickness in your body, and I'm not saying that to put anybody down because we can all be attacked with it. There are reasons. Okay? 
and we have got to humble ourselves before God, it is a checkpoint in your life. Get back and find out why has this thing come on me. It could just be that you've, you've allowed you know, your faith in that area to be depleted. You haven't been feeding yourself in, in faith. Your spirit man is not powerful in that area. Then you've got to go back and refill up your spirit and drive that thing out of your bodies. Whatever it is, it is a checkpoint in your life. But then it should be an alarming thing in your life if sickness attacks your body. Believe me, we should do something about it. And we're going to get heavy in that area. But let's look at this again. Now, in that 16th verse, he says, come to the throne of grace. But way back to the third chapter, he's begun to say this. He's doing the same. He's contrasting again the gospel with unbelief and the gospel with faith. He goes back to the beginning. And he says in the third chapter, verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest. He brings it back into the high priestly ministry of our confession or of our saying the same thing, Jesus. He's the high priest of our confession or of our profession. And we're going to see why before we end this tonight. But he goes on to say, he talks about them that were in the wilderness when they got delivered out of Egypt's bondage and so on and so forth. They murmured against God. They could not enter into the grace of God. Some people say that that's all the blessings of God. I like to say it this way. That is, Canaan's land was a type of entering into the fullness of God's grace. I like to put it like that. But why could they not enter in? It was because of unbelief. Fourth chapter. Take a look at verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith. With what? With faith. It wasn't. The gospel will be ineffective if it's not mixed with faith. He's contrasting the two again. The unbelief and the faith. If you receive it and you walk in faith, you're going to walk in the blessings of the gospel. It'll be the power of God unto you if you walk in unbelief. I don't care if you're born again. You'll never enter into the fullness of God's grace that He has for you. He goes on to verse 14. Let's read what he says. Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or the confession of our faith. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How do I come there? By faith. Humbly. The Word says by His stripes, I'm healed. When every symptom in your body says it's not. But I come boldly to the throne and I do not give up the confession of my faith because I've got a high priest, not a one that's filled with infirmity and sin and so on and so forth, but I've got a high priest standing at the right hand of God the Father, sitting there making intercession for me. He's touched with the feeling of my infirmities already. He knows what I'm going through. And if I hold fast the confession of my faith without wavering unto the end, blessed be God, I'll find mercy and grace to help in my time of need. And I'll be delivered. That's why to hold fast the confession of your faith. And we're going to see where Paul actually defines the law of faith. That's why many came to the throne of God and did not find grace or mercy because they came by the workings of their flesh. And not by faith. Think about that before you pray. and Come to God's throne. You've got to come by faith. That's why, I'm going to tell you right now, that's why some old sinners will just walk right off the street, come on and get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and healed in their body. And some they're all saying for 30 years, sitting back there and saying, well, blessed beats everything I've ever seen. I've been sitting in this church for 30 years, never got healed. That old fellow come off the street, walk right up there. You know why? I came by faith. And if that person wouldn't sit there and just think just because they've been sitting there for 30 years that they should get healed, but got themselves and schooled their spirit into faith, they'd get healed too. 
It's not just for one, it's for everybody. It's for all. Now, I'm going to show you, as I said, we said the law was spiritual, we said the man was carnal, we said that the new covenant is based upon God's dealing with man's spirit and it's faith that, that covers it. Uh, we enter into God's grace by faith through humility, boasting or pride. I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you a scripture right now before we go on. Boasting comes under the workings of the flesh. Go back to Romans 3. We gave you the scripture before, but look at it again. Tie it in together. Tie these things together in your own life. Meditate on them. They're speaking to my heart and the Lord's opened them up to me. And I want to share them with you. These are questions I think most of us need to have answered. Now look at this. When I go off and say, well, bless God, I went home and prayed for my wife and she got healed. Bless God, we got kids and so on and so forth. My daughter fell down and I say, glory to God. I went and laid my hands on her and prayed the prayer of faith and she got delivered. She got healed. Glory to God. And etc. etc. Someone says, boy, look at him boast. Listen. Verse 27, third chapter. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. I wasn't boasting on me. Hallelujah. I was boasting on Him. And you know why I got it? Because I was humble before Him. Oh, they got humility and pride backwards. It's pride to think that you should get it because you served God for 40 years. It's humility to go before God and say, Father God, Your Word says it, and I submit myself unto Your Word. Hallelujah. Can you see that? It's pride to come before God and think you should get it for anything that you've ever done. Because then it wouldn't be by grace. It would be by God's being indebted to give it to you. And we just read, as pertaining to, to, to Abraham, that if it was that way, he would have got it then by the flesh. He would have got it then by being, God being indebted to him, by debt. But it wasn't by debt. It was by grace through faith. By believing. It's so simple. I mean, I just got to believe God. That's all you got to do. I don't have to go through all this rigmarole and do this law and do all this. No, 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 no. Get on your knees, sinner, before God and slip up your arms and just come by faith and you'll get born again. And if you don't watch out here, you'll get spirit-filled, dude. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and you get healed. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, I did it again. Romans the 8th chapter. Now let's tie this in. I want you to see these things. I want to, see, I want to show you what Paul's bringing out and then we're going to close it in the 10th chapter. Let's just start then from the beginning. There is therefore now no condemnation that them will walk not after the uh, flesh, but after the Spirit. Look what he's talking about, walking in the flesh, walking in the Spirit. The difference between the two covenants. For the law of the Spirit of life, which is the law of faith in Christ Jesus, had made me free from the law of sin and death, which is the laws of, of the sin working to the flesh. For the, what the law could not do, that it was weak to the flesh, God sending His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But man couldn't be spiritually minded then, because the law was spiritual, but he was carnal. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, say that with me, cannot what? But by faith, we could please God. Are you ready to shout, I'm not in the flesh? Look it. But you're not in the flesh, hallelujah. But you're in the Spirit. It's so that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not of His. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken His mortal body by His Spirit to dwell in you. For we are the debtors. Therefore, brethren, not to the flesh to live thereafter, but to the Spirit we're supposed to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Amen. That we may live. Let's go on. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Peter tried to live off there by the flesh, didn't he? Barnabas jumped back, didn't he? But blessed be God, Paul walked in there with his words of wisdom and said, I am not going to live after the law. I'm going to live after the flesh, blessed be, I mean, after the Spirit, blessed be God. By faith. It's by faith. It's not by the law. It's not by the flesh. But it's by faith in Jesus Christ, he said, and put them all to shame. Blessed be God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Look at the Spirit itself bear witness with our flesh. No. With our spirits. That we are the children of God. And if then children we are heirs of God. Join heirs with Jesus Christ. How many of you are in the Spirit? You are now an heir of God. And you don't have to do one thing with your finger. By the workings of the flesh. To be in that position. It was all by faith. Now. We got the difference. Go to Romans 10 chapter. Romans, the 10th chapter. Here it is. Are you ready? Ha, ha, we faith preachers just don't preach this out of context, beloved. Blessed be God. I've never seen so much light in my life. Glory to God. Look, at, let's read again the first five verses, then we're going to get in. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to, to, to God is for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal to God, but not according to, the knowledge, to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of, the, of the God's righteousness, and go about establishing their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. Are you ready? Write this down. Righteousness of the law doeth, or worketh. For the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. If you do those things, you live by those things. That's the righteousness of the law. The law is spiritual. You're carnal. You can't do it. But look at the next verse. But the righteousness which is of faith, now say it all with me, does what? Speak it. And that's not out of context. You're going to see it very clearly. But the, the righteousness of the law doeth or worketh, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh. That's the difference between the two covenants. Now listen. Say not. That's what it doesn't say. It speaks. What does it say? Well, it doesn't say this. Don't say in your heart. When you tell somebody you got to get saved, who's going to go and bring Christ down? Don't say in your heart who's going to bring him up from the pits of hell, from death. Well, then what saith it? Paul's saying. What does the righteousness which is of faith say? What saith it? The word is very nigh thee, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Why? Spiritual law. You ready? Spiritual law. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For with the heart man believeth from his spirit. Faith is of the spirit. With the heart man believeth on the righteousness. And with his mouth he confesses and makes the confession unto the high priest of your confession. Unto salvation, preservation, deliverance, soundness, safety, rescue, and healing and all that you could think of. That is spiritual law and it's the law of faith. Does this agree with Jesus? Mark eleven twenty two. Have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast, and say it. And be cast into the sea, and doubt not in his heart, but believe those things which he said. So come to pass, he shall have what he saith. The law of faith is in your heart and mouth. There's two confessions, and I'll close right here, so we can get this all on tape. Two confessions. There's a confession of your heart. There's a confession of your lips. When the confession of your lips is in perfect harmony with the confession of your heart. And these two confirm the Word of God. You are a mighty, powerful prayer warrior for God. John fifteen seven will be complete in your life. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. This is the law of faith. And we're just beginning. We've got to find out how it works, how it comes how to believe in the heart, what it means to believe in the heart, and so on and so forth, and how, this, how to appropriate this law. And you know what? I'll say it again. I said it before. If you've never taught faith, you have not taught the New Testament. If you're not teaching faith, you never heard the gospel because it's the word of faith. Oh, the devil tries to keep the church away from faith, and I can see why. He don't care if you sit and warm that pew for 40 years. You get the word of faith in your heart, look out. He's coming after you. But blessed be God, we got the victory when He comes. Amen? <laughs> well, I can preach this up right now on faith. Glory to God. Let's close right here before I do. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. Now we're going to get into faith. But that's the importance of faith. This That's the importance of faith, see? That's important. If it took the place of the workings of the law by the flesh, it's important. It's the only way to the throne of God. Boldness, access with confidence by faith. Walk in the Spirit, walk by faith. Anything you're supposed to walk in, you're supposed to walk by faith. Amen? And faith works by love. And you're going to see how that new commandment taken, has taken over the other commandments and is the fulfilling. Faith, listen, faith fulfills the workings of the law Okay? By the flesh. I don't do it in the flesh. I do it by faith. Believe in my heart. Confess in my mouth. Love fulfills the entirety of the commandments. So if I use my faith to develop my love walk, and I walk in love, my faith will be dynamic. And it's working. I mean that. Because faith works by love. And when I walk in love, I walk in God, and I walk by faith. And if you don't watch out, I'll start again right now. Oh, glory to God. I can just do it right now. Blessed be God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. 
I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.